I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm delighted to be talking to Zaina Arafat today. She's a Palestinian-American writer. Her short stories and essays have appeared in publications including the New York Times, Granta, and many more. She holds an MA in International Affairs from Columbia, an MFA from the University of Iowa. She grew up between the US and the Middle East and currently lives in Brooklyn. Her debut novel is called You Exist Too Much. Zaina, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today about everything. <laughs> Every, I, we've already been talking a little bit about like capital E everything. Yes, exactly. There um, is everything all at once. And it's so funny. You must be about a mile or two away from me at the moment. Yeah. But I know. And yet we're anywhere. all right. We're all siloed off in our apartments. And yeah, it could be anywhere. Do you have family now in the Middle East um, that you're checking in on? Yeah, actually, most of my family is in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, I close my eyes sometimes when I talk, so don't be alarmed. I, um, oh, I, my family is between the West Bank and Jordan and a little bit in Lebanon, and I'm often checking in on them. I mean, throughout this COVID situation, I've been checking in, you know, pretty frequently. And it seems as though in many ways, the situation there is more under control than it is here in the U.S., mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Say, say a little more. Uh, well, I mean, I think it's interesting because there's this, like, I think there would, there's an assumption that, you know, Middle Eastern countries would be ill-equipped to mm -hmm. handle mm -hmm. a pandemic mm -hmm. for various reasons, but actually their governments have done a good job of um, of of, con of controlling the of controlling the situation and of implementing like rules uh, that people are abiding by, and you know actually now it's really 
the situation has just really eased up there. So, you know, they're kind of, of course, it's surprising because you would think that in the U.S., you know, we would have better mechanisms in place to handle such a thing. Yeah, you might have thought. (laughs) Right, you might have thought. So, Um, yeah, that's, uh, I'm glad everybody's safe. Yes, thank you. Yeah, everybody's safe, knock on wood. Knock on wood. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me about how you came up with the title of your book because it's so evocative and being too much is something that we've discussed uh, on the Maris Review before that like some people, uh, well, yeah, exist too much. Tell me. (laughs) Sure. So the title of my book, where did I come up with that? It is derived um, from the book itself. It's a line spoken to the protagonist by her mother. And it speaks thematically to this idea of taking up too much space and Mm -hmm. wanting to, you know, reduce oneself and to negate oneself and doing so through various destructive behaviors, Mm -hmm. um, which is the case in this novel. I mean, the character, you know, she has an eating disorder and she's also kind of um, pouring herself into asymmetrical romances as a way to almost like remove herself from the equation of a relationship. Mm. Yeah. And it also speaks um, on a second level to being Palestinian. Right. And the, um, the reality of being, you know, denied a lot of basic rights and statehood Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the right to self-determination as well. And so that is the macro level of where the title comes from. So it exists mm-hmm. on a micro and macro level. It does. Um, it, it's so eating disorders and then the thing that your unnamed heroine goes through in terms of relationships do feel like they come from a similar place. Yeah, at least in my experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I think they're both about, I mean, her eating disorder specifically is anorexia, which is like a, you know, the form of like withering away. And um, I think that both the, her behavior and these sort of asymmetrical relationships and her eating disorder derive from repressed appetite. Yes. And, you know, wanting to really feeling shame around appetite and therefore repressing it. And, you know, it's very early in the book when um, we realize that she is queer and Palestinian and Muslim and uh, has decided to tell her mom about it. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, that's, that sounds um, tense. Right. And I think that that tension around, you know, her identity as being queer and Arab and Muslim and, you know, facing her family with that and her, you know, her mother is an immigrant from the West Bank to the United States is very much tied to her Palestinian heritage. Her culture um, is frequently in the Middle East. And so in sort of facing her mother with this, this reality about herself, 
at the same time, she's sort of confronting a culture that is, um, I mean, if not, and it, it is where queerness is just, it's not, it's neither acceptable nor does it quote unquote exist, right? right. It's right. sort of like queer people, there's, you don't have queer visibility. You don't have, um, this is not like an option. And so, yeah, that's just one of the central tensions. Yeah. Um, and yet your character has grown up uh, first generation in, well, all over yeah. the United States, basically. Exactly. So on, in that sense, right, it's, you know, the tension between the immigrant generation mm -hmm. and the first generation that is like stuck sort of between the adopted homeland and the native homeland by virtue of their parents and, you know, their family being so close to it and also, you know, traveling there relatively often. So that is, um, that those two, the way that those two generations really interact is something I was really interested in exploring. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then of course, um, your heroine um, decides to go into treatment for, for her, the, these twin problems. Uh, uh, not, no. She says she's over her eating disorder, <laughs> which, <laughs> um, so she, for her quote unquote love addiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then what is love addiction? Is it real? Or is this like a self-help term? No, I mean, so love addiction actually is a real thing. Um, it is, it, it's basically, I mean, if you take if you imagine love as a sort of drug or an idea, yeah. I guess, of love, mm -hmm. right. As a sort of drug where you will do, you will basically do your, do whatever it takes to um, attain, you know, the object of your affection mm -hmm. and whatever it takes can be extremely harmful, extremely costly, extre extremely um, risky. Right because you are just that desperate for quote unquote love. And I keep putting it in quotes because I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily, it's not, it's more of an, it's more obsession or else like an unhealthy form of love because, you know, healthy love doesn't really man, doesn't manifest that way. Um, and it's just like this un, insatiable appetite one has for the object of their affection. And usually this insatiable appetite um, and these harmful behaviors that, you know, accompany it derive from some wound that was um, inflicted at some point in, usually in, in the person's childhood. So it's a codependent coping mechanism, love yes. addiction. And um, you, you do a great job with structure of presenting the past along with the present and interweaving and letting us know um, things about the past in an order that makes sense so that it, it feels revelatory by the end. Um, tell me about the introductory couple of pages. Mm -hmm. um, like just tell listeners like what, like just a quick, uh, what happens and, and, and the mood that you are hoping to create with that, because I think, I think it grabs you right away. 
Yeah, so those opening pages, um, they take place in Bethlehem. And they are based around a, an incident where the narrator is shamed for dressing, um, wearing shorts, <laughs> you know, dressing, <laughs> yeah. right. dressing in a way that's considered inappropriate at a, in, a holy, in a holy city at you know, a holy site, and, which is where she happens to be. Mm-hmm. And so this, you know, the pages, those opening pages basically um, depict this moment and how the character, and uh, how the protagonist and her mother and, you know, her uncle handle this. And <laughs> it also, it's meant to be, you know, it, it's, 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 it's sort of the initial moment of shaming that happens, mm-hmm. at least that this, na- this protagonist remembers. Um, and and it speaks to shame on the level of you know herself as a sort of sexual being mm-hmm. herself as a woman herself as being culturally in between because she doesn't right. have the cultural awareness to know that like you don't wear shorts when you're right. visiting the church of the nativity so and you know in a city where like a, you have all three religions kind of just the nexus of them all around you but um she doesn't she doesn't know this and so part of the shame comes from that ignorance as well and so i wanted the, the, this moment for me worked as the opening because it captures shame in so many different contexts mm. tell me about and, and i don't know if this is biographical or not and i try not to autobiographical sorry mm. um and i try not to um assume but you write a lot about going in between cultures and like literally mm-hmm. in terms of like what it takes for your character to make it to the West Bank. Yes. And I mean, so, you know, part of, of course, like a big theme in the book is in betweenness, And mm-hmm. one of those in betweennesses exists culturally. There are others as well. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, you know, I wanted to show as much of what in between this, specifically for a Palestinian in many cases, but mm-hmm. also for, you know, any hyphenated American, what that looks like. And for, the, for a Palestinian, right, to be in between, this is a huge part of your experience, is the process of getting to the West Bank and going through um, the, you know, get, going through how does one get into the West Bank when yeah. Israel is controlling the borders? Um, and what does the process of getting through the border look like? Because it's a extremely, um, it's just a very painful and like, it's, a, it's an incredibly painful process that is especially difficult as most Palestinians know and anyone that's um, traveled to the West Bank knows. And so, you know, I wanted to really show what that looks like and to show how, yeah, to just capture the reality of it. Yeah, I think it's, we are reminded that it's not only um, emotionally painful, but like mm-hmm. physically it it's, takes its toll. Yeah. And, um, and not knowing 
what your arrival time might be and not knowing exactly there's so losing, many, losing so much control right precisely and there's so much uncertainty around it exactly like you never know if you're going to get in or not um and you know it's it can be dehumanizing as yeah. well and it's you know it's a really unique and frustrating process so i just think that it was important to to show that as part of what it means to be in between as a palestinian absolutely um i like how um the character has a brief romance with um a man who is, is seemingly jewish i think and um <laughs> but but supports Palestine and is not a Zionist and um yeah. I I feel like that as a Jewish American that is one of the greatest tensions I think in our religion right now is that our I, not everyone but um a large part of the generation that came before were told that Israel was the place to be. And it only, it occurred to me a few years ago that in my education as a Jewish person, Palestine isn't, isn't a name of a country that comes up. Right. Like we're not even told. And so then there's this anger that comes after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, the, the, right, the existence of Palestine being sort of erased um, from, the, from the history is, and just from the current reality is really interesting. And, you know, that the character that she has a brief relationship with who's like a pro-Palestinian Jewish American, I mean, there are so many pro-Palestinian Jewish mm -hmm. Americans and I have so many friends that fall in that category. I've actually, you know, in real life dated pro-Palestinian Jewish Americans. Mm -hmm. And I find them to be, I, I just, I think it's important to have those allies, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, thank you for like letting it be about me for a second. No, oh of course. God. I was actually, I love hearing about your perspective as a Jewish American. Um, um, and tell me a little bit about, um, for much of the present of the book, um, the character is at this place called The Ledge, mm -hmm. which is a treatment center. Yeah. Tell me about, well, now I'm going to use air quotes. Tell me <laughs> about getting better. Right. So I think one of the questions that's driving the narrative is like, is it possible? Like, what does getting better look like and is overcoming your addictions, your demons, is that, is that possible? Or to what extent is that possible? And the, the ledge, which is the treatment center is a somewhat, I mean, it's, it's, it's somewhat endearing. It's a rather ridiculous. Um, in many ways, it's, <laughs> it's an unconventional sort of treatment center and warm and at times just a little bit ridiculous. And mm -hmm. I, 
I, I intended for it to be so and for there to be, you know, some levity there and yes. some, some like kind of comic, some comic elements. Uh, and I think that what's, you know, getting better in, in the sense, in the, in the context of this center really means connecting with mm. other people. Because this character is so alienated, the mm-hmm. protagonist, for much of her life um, by virtue of existing in these in-between spaces, you know, being sort of ostracized from either cult, not really belonging to either culture fully um, by virtue of, you know, her career choices as a, you know, she's a DJ, which is rather solitary profession. She, that, she, that was so interesting to me when she talks about DJing. Um, uh-huh. As, as a way to be out without having to socialize. Like I hadn't considered that, like it's an introverted extrovert thing. <laughs> totally, right. You can be like among people, but not really with them. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, she's just so alienated. She's alienated from any form of like a queer community. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the case of, yeah, getting better within this, within this treatment center, means connecting and like finding community right because she just doesn't have that until then really and and so i wanted that to be something that she initially she initially resists that um and you know kind of tries to separate herself as she's used to doing Mm -hmm. but in the process and in the process of their methods she can't help but like belong I love that because yeah, we, I am skeptical. She is skeptical, and yeah, yeah. There's always mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the right, hope that you mutual, can learn. Right, there's mutual skepticism. That's a good point, but like on the part of on her part and on the reader's part, I think. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I even not to give too much away. Oh, yeah. Directly after she gets out of treatment, though, mm-hmm. she um, how do I put this? Um, has another dysfunctional relationship. <laughs> and it, it kind of like takes her, well, I guess that's, that's more um, believable than having her just uh, exit the, um, the ledge and, and meet the love of her life and be ready for a uh, perfect relationship. Yeah, I mean, I wanted the more than anything more than like her being likable you know air quotes like um I wanted her to be authentic and I you know knowing her backstory knowing her behavioral patterns knowing her traumas I had to stay true to those even though I as you know writing this I kept growing, I would just get so frustrated with her. And I would, I wanted (laughs) to, I wanted her to, you know, get out of treatment and make immediately, as you say, like fall into healthy love, right? Or, you know, eventually fall into healthy love. But like, I could not control her. And I could not (laughs) force her to do that. And I think that she makes little steps of progress that, you know, hopefully come through, but for her to just be suddenly, you know, healed felt it just wasn't authentic. And so that's sort of why, you know, she tends to back backslide. 
one of one of my favorite chapters in the book is it's kind of the narrator gives a little um history of her of her mother mm. um and for for a couple of pages her mother is the protagonist of this story yeah tell me about that right so i i mean uh, a big part of this character's journey was to understand her mother. Um, and part of, which was part of her, the process that, you know, brought, that it was so important for her to understand her mother because of the fact that there was so much tension in their relationship, so much pain, so much hurt. And, in order to find empathy, compassion, and arrive at love, she had to see her mother as a person with her right. own with her own traumas, her own wounds, her own history, her own agency. Um, and so that's why that chapter is, you know, that's the ch that is where the mother is uh, exists as a woman you know separate from being a mother separate from being you know a wife mm -hmm. um she is a just a person you know yeah. who comes with her own set of like her own history and so that chapter was you know intended to to show that and to give her space to be her own person without any of those strings attached Mm. Um, I love that. Um, talk to me about books that you're, you've been reading or that you're into right now. I've been reading so many books. Um, so I, the last book that I let, read and that I loved was Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. I don't know if you've read it, but it's like, yes. it's a nonfiction book and it's just a deep meditation on so many things, including like race in America. Right. Um, and I just love the way that she thinks. And I found it to be so just powerful and enlightening. So I really like that book. I, um, I'm, I also read um, Samantha Irby's book, what, uh, wow. wow, No Thank You, that essay yes. collection, which was just, just perfect to read during a pandemic. Um, it's a little levity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A little bit of levity. I am um, right now starting on a burning. Um, mm. Yeah. And I, I've been like, I, couldn't, I can't wait to read that. I read, what else did I recently read? Uh, I recently read, or I'm reading right now, Fairest um, by Meredith oh. Halifon, which is a memoir um, that explores her experience as an albino trans woman and of color. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's been, you know, throughout this pandemic, I think, if it weren't for books, like, I don't know what I would, how I would have coped. Me yeah. too. <laughs> right. I mean, they've just been so healing. Oh, good. Yeah. Dana, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.